0: Okay, you're not going to care about this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. This week, Julie and I went to a Branford Marsalis concert. Now, many of you don't know who Branford is, and that's—I'm so sorry for you. But you need to know that Julie and I went to a Branford Marsalis concert. Branford Marsalis is one of the sons of Alice Marsalis. That solves it all, right? Alice Marsalis is one of the is maybe the patriarch of New Orleans jazz. People like Harry Connick Jr. will talk about that they learned jazz from Ellis Marcellus. Last summer, Julie and I made a pilgrimage to go hear Ellis Marcellus play the piano. And his son, Wynton, is his best-known son, who is the head of the Lincoln Jazz Orchestra, which is in New York. And Wynton is the only person I'm aware of who on the same year won Grammys for jazz as well as classical music. And you don't care about that, but you should. In fact, I was with Bill Bryan this week and we got to talking about how great and went and Marcellus is. It's just one of those families. They're all unbelievable. And so Alice was here, and we went to hear Alice, who plays a saxophone, and I'm not crazy about saxophones because they sound like something's dying at times, but still, it was it was just amazing to get to hear a, a musician of that quality and and hear what he did with the music and and now, some of I got lost in the weeds with some of that real modern jazz, but when he played a standard, it was just amazing to listen to him and and i'm just wanted to share that with you aren 't you glad but one of the points he made is because his dad was such a great instructor was that that Music touches our emotions, and every musical tune should have an impact on our emotions. and And he pointed out that he had played a, a very sad kind of piece, and then they played a very upbeat piece, uh, the sunny side of the street, which was written during the depression, was a way to encourage people in spite of their difficulties. And then he said, "We're going to play a melancholy piece." And he said, "Now, for you who are young, you don't know melancholy because he had just played the night before in that." of nowhere at Stephen F. Austin University, a a city full of university students. He said the place was rocking. It was crazy. It was loud because it was adolescence. But he said what they don't understand is melancholy. And he said, I would describe it as meh. You know, it's not super high and excited. It's not low. It's just meh. And the older you get, the more meh you get because quite frankly, if you got as high or as low as adolescents did, your body would explode. We're just not made for it, right? It's one of the great things about children. You get around children, and they're so up and excited and happy, or they're in the pits of despondency. We had two teenage girls at once. I never, I got emotional whiplash at times because of the extremes of one to the other, to the other, to the one, and it's it's the nature of being young. But as you get older, you kind of get yeah, at times. And that's that melancholy music. The problem is the same thing can happen in our relationships with others, people we love, our our marriages. Oftentimes, marriages fall from the intense joy and emotion of falling in love and and all that goes with that to if we're not careful, they can get kind of, yeah. But it's particularly significant when it happens in our relationship to God. We're starting a series for the next 5 weeks on prayer. I personally believe it is the greatest weakness of the evangelical church including ours. We love to study the Bible because that's that's so identifiable. We're all educated people and we get off on it. We we know about it and and we and we love doing things for the Lord, but one of the hardest disciplines in the spiritual life is truly engaging in prayer. Because prayer can be hard. It it takes focus. It it takes attention and and many of us struggle with it. So the next five weeks, we're going to go through a series on prayer. And we're going to start with the word the issue of praise. And then we're going to do confession and then thanksgiving and then prayer for others and I mean prayer for ourselves and pray for others. Exactly the, the way that I lead you in prayer each Sunday in the worship service. So that hopefully it will inform how we pray together as a community. And, and as we do, now, volumes upon volumes have been written about prayer. Prayer is, is where the infinite meets the finite, and consequently, it is philosophically and theologically very complicated. But we're going to do it simply because I'm simple, and, and hopefully, as we walk through this together, we'll get a better sense of what God intends for us in prayer that it will become more meaningful in our own lives, because I'm convinced that if we prayed more effectively, we would have a lot more joy in our Christian life. You know, way too often, we evangelicals, if you go to a quote-unquote prayer meeting, there'll be a Bible study, there'll be fellowship, and then someone will pray to get it over with. The reality is that the early church was saturated with prayer. It was what They did. God referred to the temple as his house of prayer. It is is intended by God to be a focal point in our relationship with God. And so hopefully, as we walk through this, it'll become more meaningful. So today we're going to begin with the subject of praise. Uh, Psalm in your notes, it's wrong because my typing is bad. Instead of Psalm 32, one, it should be Psalm 3, one. The problem with praise. Uh, Scripture commands that we praise. It says, sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise Him. God commands that praise of God is a part of our walk with Him and the nature of our life. But there is an inherent problem with praise. Now, we may not be proud enough or brave enough to articulate the problem, so let's blame C.S. Lewis, one of the greatest minds of Christianity in the 20th century. Uh, there, are, I have in my library nearly ten books just on prayer. I've got one by J. I. Packer, the great Anglican instructor who taught my Sunday school class in the Presbyterian Church once. That was a rip. And I've got one by uh, uh, Keller, Timothy Keller, in New York. I think one of the great apologists of our day. I've got one by Puritan by Andrew Murray. I've got all these books on prayer. But you know what? Almost all of them do, they all quote a little volume by C.S. Lewis about the book of the Psalms. The book is called The Reflections on the Psalms. And all of those authors go back to Lewis in that because what he says is so phenomenal. And when it came to the issue of praise, he said, "I, I feel awkward about it. Let me read to you some of what he said. When I first began to draw near to belief in God, and even for some time after it had been given to me, I found a stumbling block in the demand so clamorously made by all religious people that we should praise God. Still more in the suggestion that God Himself demanded it. It was extremely distressing. It made one think what one least wanted to think. Gratitude to God, reverence to God, obedience to Him. I thought I could understand all those, but not this perpetual eulogy. Nor were matters mended by a modern author who told me it was God's right to be praised. In other words, he's saying, is God really that insecure? What's this psychosis that God needs? If He's as great as He is, why does He need to hear my praise so much? And and if 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 it's so big, why does He have to tell me to do it? What what's with this passion by God to be praised, Lewis? Because of who he was articulated something that many of us wondered one time or another. why, Why would God command repeatedly that we praise Him? He said, when they told me it was His right to be praised, that didn't help. Instead, I tried to look at how we speak of inanimate objects when something is worthy of praise. Instead of calling it God's right, He preferred to compare God to things which are admirable. Quoting again, the sense in which a painting, for instance, deserves or demands admiration is rather this, that admiration is the correct, adequate, or appropriate response to it. That if paid, admiration will not be thrown away. And that if we do not admire, we shall be stupid and sensible and great losers. We shall have missed something if we don't admire it. Did you get that? We shall have missed something if we don't admire it. So, is God an egomaniac? Is He an insecure deity who needs our information? What's with this? Before we go answer that question, I'd like for us to look at a couple uh, or three examples of praise in Scripture. Psalm 100, which I read beginning the prayer, is one of the great, it's called the Old 100th in writings one of the great statements of praise. Shout for joy. I want you to notice how many words that are relatives of joy come up. Joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God, uniquely God. It is He who made us, the Creator and we are His because He created us. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates. Come to worship with thanksgiving and enter His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and praise His name for the Lord is good and His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues to all generations. We come together corporately to worship, and as we enter the building, we are instructed and encouraged to respond spontaneously with joy and thanksgiving for who He is, to praise Him for who He is, to celebrate who He is. And by the way, that's one of the reasons that when we built this building, we tried to do something that had an inherent beauty to it. Because the environment of coming together into something beautiful is intended to stir within us that thanksgiving and praise for His beauty. I know a lot of churches are in what we call black boxes, and, and that's cool. But we, we wanted to walk into something that had natural lighting and wood and, and, and colors in the stained glass that evoked in us a response to the beauty of God. Because all of that, the music, as the quality of the music uh, inspires us, all of us is incur- intended to encourage in us that response to God Himself. It's all a part of that. Psalm 100. The last Psalm is 150. It's kind of the cap on the whole deal, and it's very specifically about praise. Psalm 150 says, praise the Lord. Praise Him in His sanctuary when you come together and worship. Praise Him in His mighty heavens, wherever you extend to. Praise Him for His acts of power and for His surpassing greatness. Praise Him for who He is and what He has done uh, how do we praise him? Praise him with a sounding trumpet, Chaplain Bill's favorite verse. Praise him with a harp and lyre. Praise him with a timbrel and dancing. Just see that happen here. And praise him with the strings and pipe. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Very clear defense of contemporary worship. Praise him with resounding cymbals. In other words, make a lot of noise in praise of him. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You, you see in this pa- these passages that, that praise is, is intended by God to be a spontaneous response to coming into His presence, a living life in His presence, and a particular of worshiping together. I think one of the beautiful passages of worship in the New Testament is about Jesus Himself, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. It's a it's viewed oftentimes as a theological defense of the very character of God and specifically of Jesus. But it is also a passage of beautiful praise. Colossians one, beginning with verse 15. For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile Himself to all things, whether things on earth, things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. One of the most powerful passages about the incarnation, the, the combination of humanity and deity and Jesus uniquely, but it's said in tones that are particularly worshipful because it, I think, is a hymn of the grandeur of Christ as the reflection of God as well. So, why don't we praise more? Why is it so hard to praise? Again, I think Lewis is helpful here. He, his last book, it's called letters to malcolm it's one of the least enjoyable i've ever read by lewis and personally i just didn't connect with it but but it it has some as always beautiful insights about prayer and he lists reasons that we don't praise in that book uh, the first reason we don't have praise is just inattention life gets in the way right we're just busy we're we're just doing life. We're busy driving to work and doing things and going about our business and, and awareness of God and a response to God just kind of gets drowned out, right? It's just it's just inattention. We, we, we kind of forget about Him. We may pray before a meal and say, oh yeah, God. Yeah, God, You're here. And then we go on about our business. And that lack of attention is, is a cause of us loss of our losing the ability to praise. Uh, Another reason that he listed, he called um, the wrong kind of attention, and that is where we see something that we could respond to him in praise, but instead we twist it to something else less significant. In other words, he would say that w- nature would cause us to praise. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky shows us handiwork, Day day, utter speech, night and night, knowledge, and there is no speech and there is no knowledge, whereas sound does not heard. Psalm 19, he says, it seems that when we got, well, first of all, we got no nature here besides the arboretum and golf courses. But it seems, though, if we got around nature, there would be this response of praise. But we can inadequately respond to it. We can say, I wonder why they planted that plant there, and didn't. rather than seeing the beauty of what God did, we discourse, have a discourse on the nature of the planning, or we get into a, a whole tailspin about the nature of evolution and how it came about, or are we worry about whether people are taking care of it properly, or the ecological issues. In other words, we can get distracted so that when we're around something which should evoke praise, instead, our attention is drawn away from the Creator and somehow to the created one. So, lack of attention distorted attention. Another one that he spoke of was greed, as only Lewis could. He said, we can can be around something that should cause us to glorify God, but instead of glorifying, we say, encore! I want more. Now, as I said, Julie and I went to a jazz concert. It was great. But why is it that we have to do the silly encore thing? I mean, really? We all know the deal, right? They get through, we stall, stand up, we make a fuss, and they come in as if they never thought about it and play the pieces that were planned for the encore. I just don't get it. I'm just saying. I told Piper in the first service, I don't get it. You don't do it for sermons. (laughs) So... Thank goodness I'd have to prepare. But but Lewis's point is we we get exposed to something that has the beauty that should cause us to praise God, and instead we just say, well, that's good, but can I have some more? That's nice, but can I have some more? In other words, our, our, our gluttony of experience causes us not to enjoy the first bite until we're stuffed and can no longer enjoy the first bite and cause... Us to praise him. I've certainly done that. And then there's conceit. Lewis said that oftentimes we get exposed to things that could elicit a joy and a response of praise, but we're a little too proud to do it. Lewis himself is a wonder example of this. He hated church music, in fact, he really didn't like church. Now, in the Anglican church, in which he would have been a part, the congregations are very small, and if you've ever been a really small congregation, you know oftentimes that the musical talent is, let us say, limited. I mean, I grew up in a small Presbyterian church, and there were times when the choir numbers sounded like a cat fight. I'm just saying. And, and the organist did things on the organ. Um, and and Lewis himself looked down upon hymns. He thought they were bad music. He was a musical snob. He had grown up with the joy of the great classical pieces, and he he considered Christian worship music inferior, and it harmed his ability to worship until, he says, one day he looked across the room, and there was a middle-aged cleaning lady singing with all her heart, praises to God in her rubber galoshes. And he was humbled because of her heart. And, and so, when he speaks of that conceit, that, that tendency to say, well, this isn't the music that I wanted, or this isn't, I don't like the people that are singing, or you know, when, when we allow those other things to get in the way of our ability to worship, then, then we pay a price, Right. I would add one other that Lewis doesn't speak of that harms our ability to praise, and that is quite simply, we're just unpracticed. We just don't do it much. Hallowed be the name. Okay, Lord, this is what I need today. It's 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 something that has to be developed through the reading of the Psalms, through active prayer, the the ability to learn to praise and worship God is not something we naturally do. It's something that we have to learn. So first, the problem of praise is, is God insecure that He needs our praise? Secondly, the practice of praise as demonstrated in the Psalms. Lewis goes on and said, I didn't see. That actually it is the process of being worshiped that God uses to communicate his presence to man. He causes us, calls us to praise him because when when we praise him, we experience his presence. He is indeed inviting us to share in him most obvious fact about praise, he says, whether of God or anything, strangely escaped me. I thought of it in terms of a compliment or approval or the giving of honor. I'd never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise unless sometimes even if shyness or the fear of boring others is deliberately brought to check. I had not noticed how the humble and at the same time, the most balanced and capacious minds praised most, while the cranks, misfits, and malcontents praised least. I had not noticed that just as men spontaneously praise whatever they value, so they spontaneously urge others to join them in praising it. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise, not merely expresses, but actually completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. You catch that? We haven't fully enjoyed it until we've told somebody about it. You ever notice how strongly we have that need? We hear great music, and, and we've we got to tell somebody how great it was. We, we see a great painting, we've got to grab someone and talk about how great it was. That, that in inviting us to praise, God is literally saying, enjoy it to the fullest extent. And until we join together and speak of that praise, we have not completely enjoyed what it offers. Because that's the nature of the human heart until it shares. We're so relational. Until we share with others, we haven't enjoyed it completely. That's why corporate worship is so important. Because we find the joy together and share it in concert with others. And in sharing it, it, it is strengthening in all of us. Lewis is saying God calls us to praise Him because in praising Him, we, we meet Him in a whole new way. And in sharing it with others, we, we express it, and that fulfills it in a whole new way, and we... Find joy in Him. In essence, what God is asking is that we enjoy Him. And as he says in letters to Malcolm, joy is the serious business of heaven because we will be enjoying the very character of God. Product of praise, Hebrews 13, 15, and 16. He is the writer to Hebrews has just spoken of the old sacrificial system which has been completed in Jesus' death and resurrection, and now he turns to the New Testament, New Covenant reality, and says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. We no longer sacrifice animals because that has been completed in Jesus. What do we sacrifice now? We praise God. The, we sacrificed animals to appropriate fellowship with God. We sacrifice praise to have fellowship with God. And verse 16 is interesting. And don't forget to do good and to share with others, for such things sacrifices God is pleased. It is out of that praise that the doing of good and sharing with others naturally comes. Because see, when obedience is separated from enjoying the person and character of God, it becomes duty. And duty is just that. Any, anybody enjoy your spouse or your children, your friends saying, well, I love you because I'm supposed to? It's my duty. Isn't that a warm, encouraging thing to hear? You know, I don't want to, but I said I would. God's intention is that our obedience, our sharing, our, our, our service of Him is an outgrowth of our joy in Him. It is articulated in our praise of Him. So that when the Lord taught the disciples to pray, He said, hallowed be your name. May your name be honored. Because from honoring your name comes the willingness and joy to serve Him by the way, even evangelism then takes a new meaning because evangelism is an outpouring of the joy that we have in Christ. We're called upon to praise because God is literally saying, enjoy me, celebrate me, have fellowship with me, just as we do with our family and friends and children and others on earth. The, the, one of the greatest moments of life is, is just being with people that we love and having joy with them. And God says, do the same with Him in prayer. This is the beginning of a five-week series on prayer. Today, praise. Next week, confession. We're gonna have everyone stand up, admit one thing, it'll be great. I'm kidding. Um, then Thanksgiving, then prayer for my own needs, and prayer for others. Exactly the way we walk through prayer in the worship service. But we've done something out, a couple of other things. Out in the commons are these books. Our staff put these together. They're prayer journals. Each week will take you through the corresponding subject. So the next six days will take you through praise. And, and what we ask you to do is prepare your heart each day. A list of distractions that are on your mind, write them down so that you set them aside, and then read some verses that are directly related. This week they'll be on praise. And then we ask you to pray and write down things that you're praying for first in praise, then in confession, then in thanksgiving, your prayer requests. See where I'm going? And then finally, there's a verse at the end of closing prayer to draw your time of prayer together. And then in the back, we've got some pages for you to write down answered prayers as you go through it. I would like to encourage each of us. Now, and for you techies, you can go online and get this. If, if paper makes you break out in hives, there. but for us old people who cannot learn unless trees dies, this is very important. So, Kill the trees! Kill the trees! The um, the uh, the intent that we have is that we, as a community, focus on prayer for the next five weeks, and that that in writing a prayer journal and in in expressing our prayers, that we'll have an opportunity to see God work in a significant way. I think this is important. It is, in my opinion, the great weakness of evangelicalism, because. We're nyeh. We're nyeh about Jesus. And we live way too much of our lives strictly out of duty. Then secondly, later on there will be a Saturday where my oldest, one of my oldest and best friends, Tim Musselwhite, will come in and he'll do a, a seminar on how to expand your prayer life. We're excited about that as well. On a Saturday morning you'll hear more about that. Would you do something crazy? Would you make prayer a priority for the next five weeks? Would you join us in together exploring what God might do if we come together with Him? If we choose to enjoy Him? If we walk with Him in a fresh new way? I believe God can do significant things in and through us if we individually and as a community make prayer a priority in the next five weeks. Let's pray. Father, we confess that prayer is hard. It's sometimes a lot of work and that sometimes our minds wander so badly that we become disappointed. But, Lord, we we need your presence. We need to enjoy. We need to worship. We need to praise. Lord, I ask that in the coming week you would speak to us each as we speak about you. In Jesus' name, amen.